you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I invite you to uh, take it in hand and turn with me to John's Gospel, John's Gospel chapter 3. We begin the third chapter of John's letters. We've been marching our way through this book. We find ourselves at quite possibly the most famous or widely known chapters in all of Scripture. Uh, You could probably make the case for Isaiah 53 being in it running as well. But whether you can say that or not, you can say the most widely known or well-known verse in all of Scripture is found within this chapter, that being John 3, 16. And that this chapter and, and that verse come in light of a conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And the topic of their conversation, the purpose of this chapter is to teach on being born again. We could put it differently and say the purpose, the intent, the goal of this chapter is to teach the very gospel. What does it mean to have new life? What does it mean to trust in Christ? What does it mean to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And this chapter, chapter three, comes right after chapter two because numerically that makes sense. But thematically, Jesus ends chapter two, if you were with us last week, you will remember, talking about faith. And he gives different categories of faith. That, of course, is the section where he says he does not entrust himself to some who followed him, who proclaimed his name because he knew their heart and he knew what was within man. And so Jesus shows us, and we talked about it last week, that there will be some who believe. And they believe and they believe by faith and they're blessed by it. There are those who reject faith, reject Jesus, reject the gospel, reject the truth. But then there are those in the middle, those that um, live in a gray area, if you will, that, that live in a state of belief and unbelief, a state of trust and a lack of trust. Sometimes this is malicious. Sometimes it's to destroy and to um, tear down the church. Sometimes it's out of ignorance. It's simply due to a lack of knowledge or misunderstanding. Well, Jesus tells us that or warns us that, and then immediately we get this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus to show us what does it look like to be a man who should have faith, who should understand, but is lacking in some ways. That is the the point of this um, uh, interaction. And I want us to think along those terms as we read this morning. And I'd like to begin this chapter um, reading for us this morning, the Word of God in verse 1, and then I will read through the 15th verse. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please bow with me as we go and ask for his blessing upon this time. Dear Heavenly Father, we are told from our text that we need spiritual birth to receive your truth. And so I pray for everyone here, for those joining us online, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, they would have understanding, that they would know you, that they would trust in you, that they would hope in you. Father, as we approach this precious chapter of your word, help us to understand, to believe, and by believing, may we live transformed lives lives that trust in God, lives that live contrary to the ways of the world, and lives that are full of faith. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, amen. I mentioned that quite possibly the most famous verse in all of Scripture, or the, the most widely known verse, is verse three, John three sixteen. And I intentionally did not get there yet um, for reasons we'll talk about in a moment. But one of the things you need to know when you're studying Scripture, anytime you see a few words that needs to pique your interest, uh, two of those key words are therefore or for. Therefore or for. And as a, um, a, a, a professor at, at um, RTS told us once, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to always ask, what is it there for? Simple, simple device, but it serves its purpose. Because when you see that word or when you see that phrase, and there's different ways of saying it, what the author is saying is this. Everything I just told you here is why. Here is the reason, here is the purpose, or here is the explanation for everything I have just said. So, if that is the case, to rightly understand John 3.16, one of the most quoted, one of the most widely known verses in all of Scripture, how does it start? Verse 16, for... 
God so loved the world that he gave his one and he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Pause. To understand John 3:16, we need to understand John 3:1 through 15. And sadly, in our culture today, we don't hear people, we may hear someone quote John 3.16, but we rarely hear someone walking around quoting John 3.1 to 15. And so a lot of people walk in ignorance of the truth, of the weight, of the joy, of the blessing of this important text because they're taking it out of its context. And so what I want us to do this morning is begin to get the context and I know I listed that we're going to read through the first 15 verses uh, this morning, and we have read through them, but as far as walking through them, we're only going to get through the eighth verse, and I already know we're going to run out of time. Uh, we're only going to get through the first eight verses, really because verses 9 to 15 are so important, and I, I won't have time to expound on them like I want to, and so we're just going to save it for next time. But we're going to begin to understand this, this idea, this concept of new birth through this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And this is a rare conversation. John's gospel is, is unique in that we get several of these one-on-one -on -one exchanges between Jesus and a member of society, this time being Nicodemus. And this is helpful for us because it puts us in an ability to put ourselves in his shoes. We may not have the background that he has or the credentials that he has, but we can imagine ourselves asking Jesus some of these questions. And we can imagine Jesus giving us those answers. And so we're really going to focus, and we're going to just take a slow, deliberate march through these verses to learn like Nicodemus learned. We're going to ask questions and let Jesus answer them. We're going to ask, what does it mean to be born again? And we're going to hear the scripture say, to be born again is a necessity to see the kingdom of God. We're going to see that to be born again is spiritual in nature. And then Lord willing, next time we're going to see that to be born again comes through belief in Jesus Christ. And so let's begin um, this ex exploration, this conversation really, between Jesus and us, or Jesus and Nicodemus in the passage, by seeing how we must be born again. And John starts this section off with a resume. We're told a little bit of the credentials here of Nicodemus. He wants us to know who he is. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. In those, those few short verse or sentences, we get a lot about this man. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is a biblical leader in the community that would also put him as a um, political leader in those times. There was, that was the same office uh, to be the scriptural leaders were also to be the um, overseers of the law. And so he knew, or he should know, his scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, even more specifically, the first five books of the Old Testament. 
in theory, you should be able to go to a Pharisee and they should be able to explain or bring understanding to the Old Testament scriptures. That was their profession, to know it forwards and backwards, to be able to teach it, to be able to proclaim it, to help someone when they weren't living in accord with it. That was their job. Such is a man of, as Nicodemus. But Nicodemus is not just a Pharisee. We're told he was a leader, one amongst those of the Jews. He was of the high court, the Sanhedrin. And so he's not only a Pharisee, he's one of the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees, they had a court system. There were the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders of the people, and then they had a high court the Sanhedrin, which included Pharisees and Sadducees. These were the highest leaders. They were in charge with major decisions. Um, They were the ones that will ultimately see Jesus crucified um, as the high court. They would try him for blasphemy. And so Nicodemus is, is one of the most learned men in his community, And then he is one of the most learned of the most learned men in his community. Um, This is not just some guy off the street. This is is like um, running into uh, a PhD, um, a a person with a PhD in in anything. Uh, Someone that comes to mind, a dear friend of mine, Dr. Guy Prentice Waters. Um, Dr. Guy Prentice Waters is a New Testament scholar. Dr. Guy Prentice Waters, not only is he a New Testament scholar, his specialty... His, his focus um, has been on, one, he's done a lot of work in the book of Galatians, but also on John. And so I'd be a little nervous about him hearing this sermon because he could probably tell y'all a lot of things that I could have said better. Uh, I'd say that in jest. I, I love Dr. Waters. But it would be as if you ran into Dr. Waters and you said, I've got a question about John. Could you help me? He ought to be able to, Right because he's dedicated his life, devoted himself to this teaching specifically. The third thing we know about Nicodemus here, not only is he a Pharisee, not only is he of the Sanhedrin, notice how he refers to Jesus. What does he say of Jesus Christ um, in verse 2? Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher Come from God. No one can do these signs unless God is with him. He has some level of understanding about Jesus. This is unique amongst the Pharisees. This is not common. Most of the Pharisees simply just hate Jesus and brush him off or cast him to the side or ignore him or try to correct his teaching. But Nicodemus approaches him and says, look, You've got to be from God because there's no way you can do what you're doing. There's no way you can say what you're saying unless God is with you. You are a great teacher, rabbi, meaning teacher. And I greet you. This is, this is like um, one colleague to another greeting each other. This is, this is recognizing the talent, the skill, and the ability of another of your peers. And so Nicodemus is not... Dumb. He is not foolish. He is not ignorant in some ways. Um, and he has a degree or level of respect for Christ. But then there are some interesting <laughs> problems with the text, isn't there? Namely this. If all of that is true, 
if he has the credentials, if he has the background, if he has all of those things, why then does he wait till night to come to Jesus? What is he doing meeting with Jesus at night? Is it that they're both just busy men and that night's the only time that they've got available to, to meet together? Probably not. Is it that he's nervous? That he doesn't want other Pharisees to see him talking to this Jesus? Maybe he is worried that it'll lower his own credibility by being seen with one such as Jesus who's already causing a stir in Jerusalem? That's more likely the case. And so we see his hand a little bit here, don't we? His, his cards are on display before us. He is one who, at least on the surface level, acknowledges and recognizes and gives um, honor to Jesus. At the other side of things, he's a little frightened by him. He's a little intimidated. He's a little apprehensive of not just Jesus, but what others might see because he's talking to Jesus. Now, this is important as we get into their conversation and we start thinking about why this is taking place. Why is he meeting with Jesus? What does he want? What does Nicodemus want? And I love what <laughs> Dr. R.C. Sproul says here. He says, Nicodemus was most likely trying to welcome Jesus into the club of the Jewish elite. They were intrigued by him and wanted to know that he was welcome amongst them. He most likely was sent as an ambassador to win Jesus to their side. Um, think about um, a lot of, of, of movies that depict um, high school for students. You've got that new student and they always have some mysterious talent that the town or the community or the school needs, whatever it is. And then you've got that scene in the lunchroom on the first day and this new person, this athletic person is invited to sit at a specific table. And where you sit, at least in movies about high school, determines who you are. It defines you. Because these are the people you recognize, that you emulate, that you want to be with. And so you've got this one group that wants him, you, the band people want him to sit there, the, the athletic people want him to sit there, and then the, um, all the other groups are kind of vying for, I wonder if he's gonna sit with us, who's he gonna be, what's he gonna be like? Well, in some ways, and, and Dr. R.C. Sproul believes, that's what Nicodemus was doing. Come sit at our table. We want your credibility, and we kind of want to tame you a little bit because you're being a little out there. So if we can take the edge off a little bit and you can boost our credibility, we really can do something good here. Come sit with us. Come sit with us. We can work this out. But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of this chapter. Here, here's, here's, and we have to go back to the end of chapter two. Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, being those that recognized his signs, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Watch this interaction. And ask yourself, is this a one-sided or two-sided conversation? Nicodemus comes with his motives, with his intentions, with his goals, and Jesus ignores all of them. Because Jesus has a goal in mind, too. 
And we can see that in the text. Look at what it says. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He wants some acknowledgement that he is a messenger from God, maybe a prophet. Jesus completely ignores him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus asked, what are your credentials? Jesus says, you've got to be born again. They're having two different conversations. But because of what we read in the chapter two, we know this. This is what Nicodemus wants to know. This is what is at the heart of Nicodemus. This is what's burning in him. He wants the answers. He needs the answers to this question. How can I enter the kingdom of God? And so Jesus cuts, he cuts to the heart. He, he answers the question Nicodemus wants to know but is unwilling to ask. And for a Pharisee and, and for a, an elite Pharisee, they might be tempted to say, well, I'm going to be in the kingdom of heaven because I'm a Jew. We're the people of God. It's because of my genealogy that gets me into heaven. Or maybe they would point to the fact that look at the good things I do for God. I'm committed, I'm faithful, I tithe. We're told elsewhere in scripture they were so particular about their tithing that they would even take um, their seasonings, their mint and their dill, and they would give a tenth of it to the temple. They're praying, they're um, promoting the scriptures to others. There's all these things that a Pharisee might could point to and say, God, isn't this enough? Look at what I do for you. See how I'm worthy for your kingdom. And maybe Nicodemus is wrestling with these thoughts. Maybe that's what's going on in his head. We don't know, but we know Jesus answers him unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus tells him quite plainly, the only qualifier for the entrance into the kingdom of God is new birth. It is new birth. Now, we'll get to Nicodemus's response or reaction here in just a second. And let me say before we move forward, the same is true for you and for me today. The only way any of us can enter into the kingdom of heaven is by being born again. If you've been here on a Sunday in which I've had the privilege to um, administer communion, often in communion I'll remind us the way in which we're right with God has nothing to do with our background. It has nothing to do with our genealogy. It has nothing to do with what we put in the offering plate. Now I'm a big proponent of tithes and offerings. Don't mishear me there. It has nothing to do with our good works. It has nothing to do with our charitable actions. It has nothing to do with all sorts of things. It has everything to do with us having a right relationship with God through the works of Jesus Christ. That's it. One must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, period. 
Do you want to know how to get into heaven? Be born again. How am I born again? Well, that's what we've got to continue to read to see. This is a spiritual action. And we see that in our second section here. Let's look there. And it's, it's a sad realization, but it's one we probably shouldn't have been surprised by. Nicodemus is completely lost. <laughs> he misses it completely at this point. What do you mean born again? An old person cannot climb back into the womb of his mother and be born a second time. This is, this is crazy talk, Jesus. There's no way. What are you talking about? There's, Nicodemus didn't even have categories for this in his head. This is so bizarre and so foreign to him. He, 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 he gives to Jesus this um, sarcastic retort. I've, I've worked enough with, with middle school boys. I, I hear sarcasm here. What do you mean me born again? Crawl back into my mother a second time? Come on, Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. And I love Jesus. I, I really do. I really love Jesus because for a second time, Nicodemus makes a statement, he makes a comment, he says something, and then Jesus completely ignores him. <laughs> Nicodemus wants to go in this direction, and Jesus is like, oh, no, 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 Nicodemus, you need to understand this, and we're going to see this to the end. What does is, what is Jesus say to him? Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. That phrase there, truly, truly, it's an interesting phrase in the scriptures. Um, we have to remember in biblical times, they didn't have the power of bold or italics or underline, or of font enlargement uh, that we have in our modern processing tools. And so to emphasize something in Scripture, and Paul's a master of this too, one would repeat oneself. That would make the point. And so what is Jesus saying here? Truly, truly, I am not lying. I tell you the truth. What I am about to say is real and make sure you don't miss it. That's, the, that's what he would have been saying, and that's the emphasis we should place on this. And so he, he tells Nicodemus, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There is a difference in a physical birth and a spiritual birth. There are two different births. And I need to admit to you, um, there has been much written about these words. Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's about six interpretations of this that I could find this week on what this section means. And, and some of them have more credibility than others. I want to just give you one that I, I believe, and I truly believe it does not mean, and then I'm going to try to help you make sense of it. I do not believe this means one must be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. 
I do not believe this is a direct allusion to water baptism and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit for entrance into heaven. Uh, Two reasons I want to defend that. One, how would a Pharisee have any concept of that? Jesus has not instituted water baptism at this point in the way that he will. And so asking someone who's, who has understood the Old Testament, a scholar of the Old Testament, um, that would not have been a concept that Nicodemus could even have put into categories yet. Two, the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross repents of his sin, confesses his sin to Jesus, asks for forgiveness, and what does Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in paradise after we quickly go get someone to get water and get you baptized. That's not how it goes, is it? And so we want to be very careful. I I know there's different theological systems. Uh, Roman Catholicism believes very heavily in baptism as the impartation of justification. We do not hold to that view. And so I don't think it's appropriate here to read this as born of water or baptized and then filled with the Holy Spirit to enter the kingdom. That's just the one I'll tell you I do not think it, 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 it um, is saying. Now one of the strongest arguments for what it is saying is if we take these two sentences together. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. I believe being born of water is a symbol of natural human birth. I believe it it makes sense, reading these together, tying water to flesh. To get into the kingdom, you have to be born. Right? You have to have had birth which is something that we all have gone through. We have been born. But that birth is not enough to save you. You cannot enter the kingdom of God because of how, when, where, and what manner to whom you were born to. That, that does not qualify you as of the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying, though, is one must be born of water, step one, and born of the spirit. Step two, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. One must be born, one must be filled or reborn through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the secret of new birth. That is the secret of our salvation. We are saved through faith in God. And where does that faith come from? But through the Holy Spirit who gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. It's why we pray that every week is for spiritual understanding. (laughs) And then again, Nicodemus completely misses it. So much so that Jesus tells him, do not marvel that I said this to you. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, very quickly, because I I knew this is what would happen. There's something really neat going on in Greek that we all miss in our English translation. I want to bring this to you. The Greek word for spirit, pneuma, also hear the word pneumatic in that, is the same word in Greek for wind, Pneuma 
can be translated as spirit. Most of the time, it's translated spirit of God. It can be translated wind. It can also be translated as breath. Makes, helps make some sense of, um, of uh, Paul's words to Timothy. And so what is Jesus saying here with this allusion to wind? You don't know where the wind is. You don't know where it blows. You don't know what's going on. So it is with the Spirit of God. And yet, while we do not see, we do not know where the wind comes from, we cannot deny its effect. In the same way, we may not understand the movings of the Holy Spirit, but we see the effect of Him working in our lives and in this world. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus here, look to the created world. Look to what I have made. Look to the wind. You do not understand what it's doing and where it comes from, and yet you see it. You feel the effects of it. So is the Holy Spirit. And he tells Nicodemus, you should know better. The Spirit of God moved all the time in the Old Testament. The Spirit of God would come upon his people in, in a rush of power and might, and great things would take place. And so, as we close this passage for this morning and look forward to picking it up again, we ask ourselves, what does it mean for me to be born again? What does it mean for me to have new life? Well, to be born again is to trust in God through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. To realize as much as the wind blows and accomplishes the purpose of God, so, do, so does the Holy Spirit. We are to take God by faith. We are to trust and rest in Him and in Him alone. And then the last point I'll make, and I wanna, I'm trying not to paint Nicodemus in too bad of a light, because at least he did this. When he had questions, where did he go? When he had questions of faith, where did he go? To Jesus. When we have questions, where should we go? To Jesus Christ. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is a beautiful chapter and we could spend many, many, many weeks within these words. Father, we are called to you and the only way we can have life, new life, spirit-filled life is to be born again. And that birth comes not through physical means but through spiritual means. Oh God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you make us new? Would you transform us? Would you give us that new life that you promise in and through your word, bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ? Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time with you in your word. We pray your blessing upon it in Christ's name. Amen.